This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. On Easter, April 17th, we visited the Born Again Labor Museum in Southern Illinois. I've included a link to a picture video I made of that trip in the description. Born Again Labor Museum, or BALM for short, is a left-wing activist and art space with books and lots of other things to see. Uh, I could tell you about it, but I thought you would rather hear from those that run the Born Again Labor Museum, so let's go right to the interview. Here on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves, so just tell us about yourselves. Uh, my name is Tish Turrell. I'm a writer and a socialist. I'm a member of the Locust Arts and Letters Collective, or LALC, L-A-L-C, with Adam and a number of other writers and artists and creative realists. And then Adam and I also have the Born Again Labor Museum, or BALM. Uh, right now I'm getting my BFA in creative writing. I'm originally from like this dead town in central Illinois that wasn't even hopping when the factory one town over was still in existence. Since everything was like dead and awful and nightmarish where I'm from, I had no excuse but to invent worlds that were not traumatic bullshit. Right. Makes a lot of sense. My name's Adam Troll, and I'm an artist, writer, and a socialist. I'm also part of LALC, which is a network of socialist and uh, realist artists from Southern Illinois, Chicago, L.A., Washington, D.C., upstate New York, Florida, coastal Texas, and Kolkata, India. Uh, and we publish the almost quarterly uh, Locust Review. And along with Tish, I'm organizing uh, BALM, or the Born Again Labor Museum, here in Southern Illinois. And I do some writing with Tish on the Stink Ape Resurrection Primer, which I kind of think of as a, a Bible for Balm at this point. <laughs> Stink right. Ape was uh, started by Tish, and it is absolutely brilliant. It's sort of like a patchwork of a realist working class stories throughout time and space. And I grew up in Southern Illinois. My mom was a public school teacher, and my dad was the uh, American Baptist campus minister at Southern Illinois University. And um, I'm also nominally part of the Tempest Socialist Group, but I'm not very involved right now because of everything else I'm doing. So last month, the Born Again Labor Museum Balm had its official opening. Tell me how things have been going with the museum. Have you been getting a lot of people and how have things been going since the opening? Things have been great since the opening. We had a fair few people pass through, more than I thought considering COVID, uh, although we did choose a dip for obvious reasons. Uh, the, the response has been, like, really heartening, actually. Like, watching people come to Balm across multiple visits, and, like, each time they're captivated by something different than the last time. That's been really, really cool. But I lived inside of this stuff for a long time, so I shouldn't be surprised because I even get sucked into stuff that I, like, missed the first time. Yeah, and we've had folks reach out to us from uh, labor and community groups and so on, which is a big part of what we want. A physical space for both uh, what we talk about practical and impractical solidarity you know and balm is basically an intentional you know conflation of uh marxist and evangelical ideas 
the Marxist concept of living in dead labor or fixed and variable capital, blurred with the idea of being quote-unquote born again, Walter Benjamin's idea that the revolutionary generation not only redeems the future, but also past generations of exploited and oppressed. So we want to capture artistically, which isn't really possible, of course, is the idea that revolution can not only emancipate the revolutionary generation, but every generation, past and future. And I think like what Tish got at was sort of the differentiated totality or borrowing from what our comrade Anupam Roy calls excess, or the poet Richard Hamilton calls discordant will, a push-pull that we're aiming for. Uh, on the one hand, it's a collection of individual works, but these come together in a jumble like a crowd. The crowd is like a totality. The individuals in the crowd are unique, varied psychologically in terms of identity. Um, so it's like probably an argument against both like vulgar, vulgar Marxist class reductionism, but also against like neoliberal academic ideas that things like social totality don't matter. And just like all social class and oppressions and identities are about relationships, so it's like the meaning of the work in Balm. And when I say practical and impractical solidarity, we want a space to be available for movements and class struggle, but we also want a place where you can just be outside of capitalist realism, outside of work and commodified leisure, where you can just be human. Hey, that's that's really great. My My wife and I visited the museum the other day, and it was actually last weekend, and Y'all were saying a tool library was going to be moving into this space. What other plans are in the works for the space at the moment? And what do you see as the future of the space? I can't think of anything concrete in the immediate future aside from the tool library. But I know we really want Balm to be a space that's available for the community. Because people need a place to go that doesn't cost money and isn't heavily surveilled. Absolutely. And, and as soon as our work is done for the spring, you know, studies and or day jobs... We want to be more systematic about reaching out to more left-wing working class and community groups. The YDSA chapter at SIU um, here, the local university, has used BOM um, to make protest signs for both Black Lives Matter and anti-student debt protests. Um, folks have reached out from labor studies programs about coming by, and the Carbondale Tool Library is moving um, and to become part of the BOM space. And the Carbondale Tool Library is a, a mutual aid project that was started a few years ago by a number of comrades, both socialists and anarchists, to loan out for free tools to people in the area. So if you're getting fined by the city because of weeds or something, you can come by and get a weed whacker. If you need to fix your kitchen table, you can come get tools. You need to do that. It used to be housed at a community activist space called the Flyover here, but that was shut down after a conflict with uh, new landlords, um, uh, new owners of that building. So we're really excited about being able to collaborate with the tool library. And we have other ideas about reaching out to, fo out to folks that are doing like anti-landlord and labor work and collaborating with other socialists and left-wing artists. Uh, although our bandwidth is currently being occupied by, you know, school and day jobs um, until about two weeks and then we'll be like sort of free, but also broke. Um, uh, we all, you know, and there's a long history. I also want to say a DIY cultural activity um, and working class and left-wing activism here in Carbondale in Southern Illinois. And much of this was an inspiration for Balm. So we're building up a reading library of radical and other books that folks can use. And we're building up a protest sign library where folks can check out protest materials for uh, various actions in the future. And as I mentioned, 
when I was down there, I think the Occupy movement really taught us how important having actual space is that is not occupied by something in the current system, taking that space. I, I really liked a lot of the art at Vaughn and found it to be very relevant to the times we're living through at the moment. As I previously mentioned, the museum, I really felt a palpable sense of unease with the fry baskets and handcuffs and the room with the gas can and cages. But there's a lot to see, and I feel like you could spend a day at the museum and still not see everything there is to see. What are y'all's favorite pieces or elements in the museum? And, and could you talk a bit about the story behind those pieces of art or installations? I have a hard time picking a favorite, but I think I'd probably choose the Wounded Tool Library, which is probably cheating because it's multiple objects, but the concept is really freaking cool to me. The reason I love the Wounded Tools so much is because they speak to one of the most frustrating things about being alive, which is that we're all like soon-to-be obsolete objects that we, we didn't choose the life we were forced into, and then we were thrown out like garbage, but we can choose what we imagine for ourselves and what we would want for ourselves. Some of the wounded tools actually represent things that we went through, though. They also, they're, they're almost like a response. This adds to what I really love about them. The napkin dispenser, for example, was something we made in response to seeing an old woman be arrested in a Denny's in Las Vegas. The mm. staff called the cops on her for falling asleep in a booth while she waited for her food. So some of these, some of these things have kind of revenge aspects to them that I like a lot. Yeah, I think the wounded tools are kind of like extensions of ourselves. Something uh, one of the other locust comrades, Anupam Roy, put, put, has he put it, said, we're broken cogs in a machine. So if our tools can be free, have subjectivity, then maybe we, as tools under capitalism, can also be free. You know, when you think of like uh, something like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster, the monster is you know, object revenge, the thing that was supposed to have no subjectivity, but ends up having one and turns on its master. When you think of capitalism, the working class is one of the most important objects revenge, the working class being the grave digger of capitalism. It's not supposed to have subjectivity under the ideology of capitalism, but it does. And for us, Baum is imagining a grave digger's multiverse, imagining the subjective working class dreams that are denied subjectivity under capitalism. So I guess a few of the projects I, I really like are one Burger King parking lot's wife, which is a column of fast food salt packets standing on a salvaged wooden pedestal. And that came from Tish and I free associating as we drove by the Burger King in our neighborhood. And I think I only realized later what it was sort of getting at. Um, obviously the story of Lot's wife is a biblical story. Lot's wife turns around as Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed. And having disobeyed God, she turns to salt. And I was, after we made it, I was like, fast food workers have had some of the highest rates of COVID infection. There's a disaster that's been going on for two years for those workers. But if we don't look away, and we can see that in a class-conscious way, we can become salt in the union sense of the world, salting our workplaces for union organizing. Instead of being punished for looking at the trauma and understanding where it comes from, you can be an immortal link. Um, to a possibly liberated future. And instead of God bringing the destruction, we bring the destruction. That's one reading. Maybe that there are others. There could be darker um, meanings too. And also it's just kind of fun to elevate fast food salt packets to mythological importance. Um, another uh, favorite of mine is a painting and collage on this canvas tarp that was based on writing by Tish, um, as well as the early Soviet science fiction film, Alita, Queen of Mars. 
and part of a poem by Amy Cesar, the Afro-Surrealist, from his journal of a homecoming. And that piece is entitled, Snek Rallies the Oil Snakes While Alita Beheads Elon Musk and Possum Sings Against the Rain. And there are three main images amidst a jumble of other images. Snek speaking and an image partly based on a photograph of Rosa Luxemburg speaking. And of course, Alita from the Soviet film beheading Elon Musk and a possum um, opera singer. And the painting, like most of our work, is covered in, in cotton and ash, which is, like for us, a constant reminder of one of the fires last time, General Sherman's march to the sea and the total uh, war it took to defeat um, slavery in the Confederacy. And the last thing I would say about it, like imagining sort of anti-capitalist futures and presence and resurrecting the past are, are really important to us. And so one of the pieces that's um, in, in the embalm, the social resurrection task prints are part of that, which are digital prints of historic images from class and socialist struggles covered in cotton, ash, and paint and hung on clotheslines um, with clothespins. And the title conflates ideas of Russian cosmism about achieving universal human immortality, <laughs> what was called the common task, with social reproduction theory, the socialist feminist conception of how the reproduction of labor is gendered and central to women's oppression and capitalism. And the photographs hang across like drying clothes used to hang from clothes lines from working class tenements. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. I, I liked everything you said. I, I really liked that description with Burger King parking lot's wife. Uh, I, I think really like that story that you told along with it really encapsulates a lot of the stuff that's going on at Balm. Uh, I don't have a lot more, but is there anything else you want to share about the museum or how we can go about rebuilding the labor movement and the power of the working class in the United States as far as like, you know, how are you conceptualizing uh, kind of taking hold of our lives and building something here out of it? I, I think some folks need to stop talking down to and being dismissive of the working class. I've experienced this a lot. I mm. came to all this organically because I'm a millennial. It's been clear since they bait and switched me into an ass load of student loan debt and made it clear that our only option on climate change was me saying no to fast food straws that something is very wrong with this system. There are so many people working to liberate the working class who are actively ignoring what we have to say or they're even talking down to or over us. The last socialist organization I was part of, we had the choice of calling out the mayor for openly joking about protesters being thrown in front of a train. My argument for calling him out was met with a 50 plus email long thread about why that would be basically rude. So the, the quote unquote left is an out of touch mess that could do with reconnecting with us instead of being cannibal pedants. I I mean, I, I mostly agree with Tish, of course. I've seen a good number of comrades, often with academic or professional backgrounds, both revolutionaries and, and reformists, ignore and talk over working people, including my partner, many times, and it kind of pisses me off. For some of these comrades, I think workers are an abstraction, and despite all the book learning, they miss the central idea of Marxism and that workers are the agents of historic change, and working class subjectivity is central. The subject of history isn't disaffected middle-class intellectuals in Marxism. I think uh, Justine Medina, who is an Amazon packer at the JFK 8 warehouse and a communist and a member of the Amazon Labor Union Organizing Committee, hit on a lot of keynotes about um, 
organizing labor right now. So I'm going to defer to you, summarize and quote them for just a second. One, they said in their successful bid to organize their warehouse, they had a worker-led movement. And this is the most important thing. It was the workers themselves organizing from the bottom up inside the facility instead of union officials, celebrities, and dubious politicians on the outside. Two, they looked at working class history. They went William C. Foster's organizing methods in the steel industry. And Foster, while he played an unfortunate role in the Stalinization of the U.S. socialist movement, brilliantly developed strategies that helped the Communist Party unionize several industries in the 1930s. And people should read Foster on trade union organizing. Three, they had a team, eventually about 100 people, organizing concertedly in the warehouse. As they put it, a black and brown-led, multiracial, multinational, multigender, multi-ability organizing team. Four, they got radicals involved. They said, you get the communists involved, you get some socialists and anarcho-syndicalists, and you bring together a broad coalition. Five, you can't be afraid to fight to get as dirty as the bosses. Six, it's about solidarity, learning together and teaching each other. So worker-led, know your history, representative team that involves all sorts of workers, the non-sectarian collaboration of radicals, socialists, anarchists, communists. You have to fight. You have to fight dirty. And you need solidarity because we're in it together. I was at a socialist labor meeting uh, a few months ago, and I proposed to the comrades that we organize some solidarity events to support the uh, ALU organizing drive on Staten Island. And this was on a Zoom call with comrades in New York, Chicago, elsewhere. And this was a few months before the ALU won. And I proposed we try to maybe see if we could bring folks from the ALU to our union locals, neighborhood, temples, mosques, churches, corner bars, try to fundraise, make connections. And I got shot down by several mostly older unionized comrades. And some I thought would be in sectarian about the CP. Some didn't know who the ALU was. Some counterposed building a solidarity campaign on the outside of the warehouse set, like an abstract version of the rank and file strategies that were important in the 1970s. But I mostly think they thought that the ALU had no chance. And this is, I think, their biggest problem. Like our anarchist friends say, you got to kill the cop in your head. We have to kill the capitalist realist in our head. We need to forget common sense. And as Comrade Gramsci told us, common sense is just the everyday acceptance of capitalist ideology. Things right now are volatile. The, the slow movement of history that some of us grew up with maybe in the 20th century has sped up and it's out of control. And for a number of economic, environmental, imperialist, epidemiological reasons, we have chaos and crisis. And if we think too small, we won't be there to help our working class and other radical siblings as they take on Amazon, Starbucks, the racist police, ICE. If we think too small, we're going to also see ground to the fascist and far right who will make hay out of the crisis and social despair. So I and I would say this to both like, you know, revolutionary and electorally oriented comrades that we shouldn't think so much in terms of an academic idea of revolution or the next election cycle and which politician to support who's going to betray us later, but how we're going to be with the rebellions and revolts and day-to-day organizing in the class in the here and now. And I'm not saying that revolution and reform aren't important questions. They are, but they're not going to mean anything if we're not part of this great, new, but old battle that is just starting or restarting to unfold across the U.S. working class right now. And the important work is happening on the shop floors of Amazon warehouses and in your neighborhood Starbucks. Balm is just a place where we hope to nurture working class dreams, where subaltern dreams are welcome, and bourgeois common sense has to be left at the door. So that's the end of my official questions, but I guess 
I have one more thing I was going to throw out there. You know, Born Again Labor Museum is in Southern Illinois. Uh, would you be willing to just quickly center that in the labor history of Southern Illinois? Could you just give a quick picture of what kind of workers have populated Southern Illinois in the past and organized? Well, Southern Illinois was mining area for a long time. And that is part that's central to the labor history of Southern Illinois, both good and bad. Of course, Mother Jones toured through here. Mother Jones is buried just north of Southern Illinois in the Union Miners Cemetery. Um, and there's a lot of impressive things that have happened um, with the miner struggles here. For example, in the 1977-1978 uh, miner strike that stretched from West Virginia through Kentucky to here, um, workers in uh, West Frankfort, Illinois, which is um, about 30 miles from Carbondale, actually shut down uh, non-union scab coal that was being brought through the terminal in Metropolis, Illinois, with a massive direct action. So there's a long militant tradition like that. Um, there's also other radical um, uh, things that have happened here, like uh, um, the Black Panthers were organizing here in the 1970s. Um, there was a long battle for civil rights in Cairo, Illinois. Um, but there's also the Achilles heel of the labor movement nationally is also the Achilles heel of the labor movement in Southern Illinois. And of course, that's racism. And there's been some pretty ugly examples of that um, as, as well. There's also a long tradition of student fights here. Um, students sh shut down this university multiple times with student strikes um, in 1970 um, after the shootings at Kent and Jackson State. Um, but also in 2011, during a faculty strike, students shut down the university with their own strike. Um, so there's a long history of both good and bad here. And unfortunately, the economic downturn has opened up politics um, to the far right, especially since the Democratic Party is seen as having betrayed um, labor and working class folks here. That's great. Anything else anyone else wants to share? Otherwise, I really appreciate creating a space there that isn't dominated by the common sense of capitalism, uh, because I think sometimes we don't even realize how much our lives are dominated by all the ills of capitalism and things that seem normal are not at all normal. So I'm glad you have created this space. There's kind of a tradition of DIY spaces here. Um, when I was growing up here, there were several punk houses um, across the town. In fact, the oldest continually operating punk house in the country, I think is across from the Catholic church over mm -hmm. like a half a mile away from where we live. Um, the lost cross house that has been going since the 1980s. And of course the history of those spaces is contradictory too. On the one hand, it was a place where um, it was uh, much more tolerant of uh, divergences from the status quo, but you know, there were also problems from the outside world in those spaces as well. Um, so I don't want to like idealize it. Um, but it provided a cultural space for people to be different. Well, I appreciate the time and really like this interview, and I wish you guys luck with that. Anytime I'm in Southern Illinois, I'm going to visit. You're, you're always welcome. Absolutely always welcome, and thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, thank you. That's our show. Thanks for listening. As always, you can reach out to us on Facebook or SoundCloud if you have something to share. Thank you. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.